Hello, and welcome to the Not Doc Martin Show. I'm your host, Anthony Martin, a husband, father, and educator. On the show, we'll talk about a variety of topics, but in the end, they'll all tie back to my fundamental belief that education, in whatever form that may be, can make a difference and change the world. Thanks for dropping in with us for this episode of the Not Doc Martin Show. Welcome back to our third episode. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate that. Today's episode is going to be on the reopening of schools. Now, let me first just let you know that the topic here is a sensitive one. I know that because I have children of my own who will be starting the school year. Um, Also, I am aware that people feel very passionate about this one way or another. And so I want to share my opinions. And at the end of the day, they are just that. They are my opinions, no one else's. So the opinions of this uh, broadcast or podcast, excuse me, are mine and not any of the organizations I work for. So with that being said, today is Friday. Uh, Governor Newsom this afternoon decided that any county where they are on the watch list, that schools will not be able to reopen in the fall that in order for schools to be able to reopen in-person instruction, that um, we would need to have 14 days where our county was not on the watch list and a whole bunch of other criteria. Well, as you know, if you happen to be in Tulare County, that our numbers have been spiking like crazy the last couple weeks. And the prospect of us getting off the watch list anytime soon, let alone for 14 days in a row, is very, very slim. So looking at that, that means that we'll be in our online or distance learning in some way, shape, or form for quite some time. Um, I know that there are people who are excited about that because that means that we won't be pushing people back into the classroom or pushing them back into the environment where they're going to be exposed, and I completely understand that. I also know that there are going to be a significant number of people who are upset and will say, how am I supposed to work? How am I supposed to take care of my kids and teach them and work and provide and, 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 and. And I totally get that side as well. Um, One of the first things I want to address is that, you know, school leaders have been tasked with trying to make decisions in this time with data that is changing from day to day and in systems that aren't built to be that flexible. School systems aren't designed to flip from one day to the next, from one type of learning to the next that quickly. Um, So I would ask that you give your school leaders grace, that you give them some of that patience that you have been giving as they work to find these solutions. Many districts, not all, but many districts are doing the best that they can. They really just want to be able to serve their kids. They want to see their kids again. And statistically speaking, we know that schools are the safest and the best place for kids. And so we want to be able to get our kids back. And so I would ask that you give your schools grace. And I would say that if you are asked to fill out a survey, that you take it serious. And if you have multiple kids, that you take the survey each time for each kid. Um, because we all know that each kid is different. I have five boys, as I've shared before, and what works for one wouldn't necessarily work for them all. And so making sure that you're a parent who takes the time to participate, who takes the time to uh, share your thoughts and your opinions, 
But if you're also going to be doing that, I would encourage you to suggest solutions. Now, I can tell you from personal experience um, that not always will your solution be able to be implemented for a number of reasons. But I can also tell you that it helps us know that you're a willing partner when you submit solutions rather than just complaints. We'll take those, you know, every, we're, we're, those of us in positions like mine are used to taking those. But if we have solutions, then that's additional information we can bring back to our teams and say, hey, look, this is what the community shared with me. Hey, this is what our parents are thinking. Can we make this work? And so I would encourage you to share your solutions in whatever form those might be. So now let's let's delve into his decision. So many districts were making the decision one way or another, whether they were going to open online, not, and it's been the last week, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social media in regards to the field of education has been, are we going to open, schools shouldn't open, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so with the governor Newsom's decision, at least in California, so this is a California-centric piece, um, at least with his decision, the decision, at least for counties that are on the watch list, which are 31 of our 58 counties, um, those decisions have been made already. We can't open. And so that decision's been made for us. And I understand that that decision's made in the interest of public health and safety when it comes to the virus. And it comes to making sure that we slow the spread and don't expose our staff who are older or who are immunocompromised to a situation where they would potentially contract the disease or in those cases where kids take it home to a family member who's in the same boat. I totally understand that side of things. I, I often think, though, that in this conversation that we are very egocentric when we have these conversations. We look at our experience individually and think, well, if this is what my kids are experiencing, this is what everyone else's kids are experiencing, and I would rather just have them home with me because that's safer. That's a very privileged viewpoint. One I get to live in, one my boys get to live in, but it's a very privileged viewpoint. Um, when you look at the makeup of the Central Valley of California, the amount of poverty, the number of students who come from free and reduced lunch households, th that has an impact during quarantine. Uh, my boys were pretty sheltered during quarantine. We live up in a little mountain community on an acre of land. And realistically, during the last four months of quarantine, they've probably, outside of coming to my in-laws to swim on the Fridays when it's been hot, they've probably been away from home a total of four or five, six times maybe. Um, so they've been sheltered. They've not had to worry about food. They're not worried about safety. They're not worried about uh, any type of abuse at home. They have a good, privileged, sheltered life. But those of us in education, if we can take the lens off the personal side of things, we, we know that that's not the story for all our students. We know that we have plenty of students that come from home from poverty where their only meals for the day are what they get for breakfast and lunch with us at school. And when school isn't in session or there's not the summer meal service, oftentimes those kids will either go hungry or maybe only have one meal a day or they have meals that are not as nutritious as they would get if they were coming to school. And so we know, at least on the nutritional side of things, that in certain instances, schools are the best place for kids. 
Additionally, for those students who live in environments where it's not safe at home, uh, whether that's the community they live in or their personal life at home with their family, or maybe they're a foster youth, school tends to be the, the safe place for these kids. It's the environment where they can go and unwind and relax and really feel like they're cared about and really feel like I don't have to worry about my safety. Many people who are out there saying things oftentimes don't think about these students. They think about the students that come from good homes or homes that everything is provided for them, or they think about what their kids are going through. But when you look at it through the lens of those students who maybe are in abusive homes or maybe they're in environments where they don't get to eat every day or maybe they are kids of essential workers who don't have a choice and are gone considerable amounts of time because their job demands it and while the rest of us are at home, they still have to be out there. What about those kids? Um, those are all decisions that uh, school district officials have to make. While parents, you know, myself included, as a parent, I only have to make a decision for five kids. And I have to make a decision for my five kids in the environment that they're in, in the privilege that they have, in the life that they're leading. School district officials, depending on the size of your district, could be making decisions from five kids up to uh, 600,000 students. And so while we're making decisions, what may seem like isn't a great decision for your particular student because, well, I, I just don't think that's safe. But it might, safety comes in different forms for our students. Um, safety comes in the form of having a place to, to be physically safe, to have that meal. And when school districts make those decisions, they're not just considering those students who have those home environments where they'll be safe no matter what. They're considering students whose school is their safe place. They're, at, they're considering those kids who are with us from 7.30 in the morning on the bus till 6 o'clock at night when the after-schools program is done. There's a reason that parents utilize those services for those kids, whether it's because they're working, because home life has struggles, school gives those kids a break. And so I think that we often forget about that because we often tend to be egocentric and there's nothing wrong with being egocentric. Don't get me wrong. We have to worry about our own survival first before we can help others. But I think that's when it's important to remove that lens and, and look at a different lens and look at it through the lens of a student who maybe hasn't eaten the entire month of July because school hasn't had any meals and school's out of session. And maybe that kid who's been at home since March uh, because of quarantine has been abused even more because they're home all the time or the domestic violence that they're exposed to because mom and dad are home all the time and they don't get along. School provides an outlet for those kids. And with going all digital, that outlet is gone. This isn't even including those students who don't have access to the internet or access to devices. Another form of privilege, right? Uh, I know in Governor Newsom's uh, address today, his little hour-long uh, speech, if you will, with, with reporters and with the public, he talked about getting equipment in place and getting giving schools money to buy equipment which is awesome i'm never going to complain when we as a school district can get additional funds to provide additional things for our kids 
But here's the other thing. Okay, so if every school in the, the state is getting additional funding to provide hotspots, devices, guess what's going to happen? Every school is going to try and order that, and then there's going to be a backlog like there was in the spring where schools can't get hotspots because there just aren't any available. And so trying to find those solutions, trying to find those solutions for kids who don't have those the internet or to the technology at home to do a distance learning that's another task that schools are going to be required to do in the fall as we move into this this new paradigm if you will um, there is the other piece of if kids are english learners or then their parents don't or their parents speak a language other than english how are they supposed to help them at home you know, uh, my boys, as I've told you, they're they're privileged, I think. Um, they're blessed, whatever term you feel more comfortable using. Um, they have me as a dad who I have all my degrees and background in education. They have their mom, who's a former nurse, and so who happens to be a work-at-home mom now. And so we have way more resources than your average family. Um, you know, with me having my educational doctorate, I have vast amount of experience in education. I can tell you I have no desire to teach my kids at home. I want to send them to school. If it were up to me, they would be going to school. But we are going to work within the bounds that we're given. Now, what about those kids who don't have those resources at home? When they're given an assignment online and their parent has no clue how to figure it out and they've only had access to the teacher for 30 minutes that day and the other five hours of their school day that they're doing at home is done individually or with their parents, how, how are those students getting support? In a schooling environment, they would have the teacher for six hours who is an expert at teaching that, who has experience, who has a skill set, and then the supports that the school provides. Those kids aren't getting that now. The gap between students, the haves and the have-nots, uh, is likely to grow because of this. Uh, you know, and so I think it's important that we look at those other issues, that we look at those pieces that other than just the safety aspect when we talk about the virus, which I don't want to discount. You know, unfortunately, we know personally someone who lost uh, a family member who was only 38 years old and, and appeared to be otherwise relatively healthy. So I'm not going to discount the, the nature or the, the fear that can come with this. But at the same time, um, what are the unintended consequences? What are the unintended pieces when we, when we keep kids at home, when we keep them away from the schooling environment? What are the unintended consequences for those students? And so, you know, looking at those pieces and what can we do to help support those pieces? Another group of students that I think really see a tremendous impact with this are our students with special needs. Um, if you are a parent of a child with some severe needs, school can sometimes be the time that you get your rest and rejuvenation because you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you have a high needs child and now school is no longer there, not only are you at home trying to provide the normal things you would for that kid, but then you're also trying to help provide their, their special education needs. And while, while many schools, if not all, provided the services online, that's not the same as having the student being there in person. And that's not the same as giving the parents the opportunity to have some of that time to rest and, and charge back up so that they're ready to give their all to their kid. 
a lot of parents aren't getting that right now for our students with special needs. And it's not that they don't love their kids. It's just you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you don't fill yourself, if you don't take time to refill your own energy through through rest, through breaks and things like that, then it's only going to make it harder to work with your own child um, as we move into the distance learning. Realistically, looking at the way things are right now, I don't see us coming back anytime soon, at least in our area. Um, we've been on the county's watch list since we've reopened, basically, and we continue to be on it, and our numbers continue to go up every day. Do I think that that should be the only criteria, whether numbers are going up or down? No, I think we have to look at the multitude of factors, and and I think we have to decide when is the time that we are going to open. And when we do make those decisions, whatever district you're in, I think your district needs to give you options. I think it's respectful and I think it's meeting the needs of your community when you say, I, as a school district, I'm going to give you this option and this option. It allows for that voice and choice. It allows for you as parents, if you don't feel safe, to keep your kid at home, even if everyone else is wanting to send their kid to school. And I think that these are some of the great things that will come out of this in the educational field is that we've learned to do things differently in some ways. And I really hope that we don't give them up. I really hope that some of these pieces that we've learned both on the management side of things and how we can do meetings, but also in the classroom, I think Zoom and our comfortability with Zoom as an industry has risen dramatically through necessity. And as a result, I think we can do some very innovative things. And I, and I really would hate to see that go by the wayside and us just fall back into our old practices because we're back in person in the classroom. And so I, while this has not been fun, uh, I can tell you that from both the personal level and a professional level in regards to schooling, I do think that there is some good that can come of it. And I think that it's incumbent upon us that are in these roles to make sure that we take the pieces that we can to make sure that we learn from this experience to provide a better education for our students to provide better training for our staff to give our people the opportunity to innovate and really really push the limits of being the best teacher that they can be now, one of the last things that I wanted to touch upon is the concept up there, out there that those people at the district office just don't give a damn, uh, that they just want to reopen schools because it's all about the money, the money, the money, the money, the money. Now, if you know me, you'll t I'll be the first to tell you money is important. I mean, we have to pay people in order to provide programs in order to give students what they need. Um, I will also tell you that money is not the only thing uh, that matters. Uh, I know many district office administrators, uh, not just in my district, but across the county and across the state, many of whom uh, have had many sleepless nights trying to decide and determine and figure out not only what's best for students, but how do I best support the staff? Um, nobody wants to bring staff back and get somebody sick. Uh, nobody wants to send kids home and get somebody sick. But it's about trying to find the best solution for the kids. And it's about trying to find the safe way to bring kids back and what meets the needs of the communities that you serve. And I think that if you are being given the chance, whether it's as a parent, whether it's as, a, as an employee, whether it's somebody who's part of the planning team, if you're given the chance to share your voice and you don't, 
then I'm going to ask that you sit down and shut up. I mean, that's harsh. I know. But if you're not taking the opportunities to share your voice when you're asked and you're not willing to work with those in those positions as they try and navigate these uncharted territories, I ask that you sit down and be quiet. Because if you're not willing to be a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And I and I mean that. I don't mean that nice. I mean it sincerely. If if you all you're going to do is complain and not be happy, you don't help us. You don't help anybody. You don't help your fellow parents. You don't help your fellow your friends that are teachers, your kids. Uh, you you cause an environment where it's a we them environment. Uh, I know numbers of districts that have worked to try and incorporate teacher input, parent input into a situation that is changing on almost a daily basis. And so trying to put that into play while maintaining uh, some sort of cohesion and adherence to policies and procedures it isn't an easy thing to do. It's not an enviable position. But I think that it's incumbent upon those in those positions to seek out that input. But I also think it's incumbent on those who are out there when they are asked that they give input. And when I say give input, I don't mean complain. I don't mean whine. I don't mean moan and groan. Uh, uh, this is horrible. I didn't get to eat my cake and I didn't get my cake and get to eat it too. Um, you know, the, there are finite limits on what districts can and cannot do. And I think that talking, if you actually sit down and talk and remember that the people making these decisions are just that, they're people. And I genuinely, truly believe that most people in education really wants what's best for kids, really want to do what is best to serve the students that live within their boundaries, that attend their schools. And so I can tell you personally, when I see things on social media or in the news where people are saying that schools just want us to come back, schools are going to kill teachers, district office staff don't care, I take it personal because I have friends who are teachers and, and I do care. I have... I have employees who work for me who are classroom teachers. I don't want to put them in an environment where they're unsafe. Um, but I also don't want to leave all of our students at home where they're in unsafe environments. Sure, they're safe from the virus, but what other unsafe conditions are they exposed to because they're not with us? And what socio-emotional mental health toll is it taking on them? I do believe a lot of that has to do with the environment at home and the, the tone that you as a parent sets. Uh, if you set a very fear-based tone in your home, then your kids are going to be high-stressed, anxious, and not want to go anywhere. If you approach it as, well, this is the way things are right now. This is the facts. These are the numbers. We're going to live our life the best we can. We're not going to throw caution to the wind, but we're also not going to stop living. But we will take the necessary precautions and not go out in large crowds and not choose to to flaunt not wearing a face a face covering of some sort. And so I do think that you as a parent set the tone for your kid. And if you want your kid to have the right approach both to distance learning and to this whole experience that we're having now, then I think that starts with you at home and the tone you set with your kid. Make sure you're not taking a tone where you're constantly talking in fear about the virus and, and constantly talking in negative ways. Take that more positive approach. I also would say the same thing about the way the school year is going to start. Listen, 
I, I'm as a parent, I'm not thrilled about it. I don't think you won't convince me that the online education of any school, any district is as good as an in-person one. I don't believe it. That's just, that's me. That's my personal belief. And I think that the district my kids go to, and which is the same one that I work for, I think that we have amazing resources and we have an amazing team. And I think that they're going to do an amazing job. But even with all that being said, I still don't think that replaces being in person with the with the teacher and with their classmates. There's so much more to school than just the academic side of things or learning your ABCs and one, two, threes. There's the social piece, learning how to interact with other kids, learning how to interact with adults, learning how to adhere to social norms and customs. Kids learn all of those things in the school environment on top of being fed and taken care of and having medical and mental health needs provided for. So I think it schools are so much more than that and so I do want my boys in school but I, I'm not going to go home and tell them you know what it sucks y'all are going to have to do online learning and it sucks so we hate it yeah let's and have a poor attitude with them because if I go tell them you know what yeah the online learning sucks I know it and guess what attitude they're going to have they're going to have the attitude that online learning sucks whereas if I tell them you know I know this isn't what we wanted but we're going to make the best of it. We're going to we're going to make it a, as good of an experience as possible. We're going to help you guys get through this. We'll get through it together and we're going to have a positive attitude about it and we're going to have a very much a growth mindset. I think if we can do that as parents, um, both for ourselves and for our students, then I think that that's going to make a tremendous difference because if we don't do that, if we come into it with a negative attitude, it is going to suck. It is going to be worse than it would be if you came into it with a positive attitude. I don't think it's the ideal situation for anyone, maybe a few, but I think the attitude that you as a parent take when it comes to how schools reopen in the fall, that will make all the difference in the world. So my closing thought is that as a parent, you set the tone. Um, both in how your child approaches the virus and our current state in the pandemic, but also in how we reopen the school year. And so I would ask, um, as a fellow parent and as an educator, I would ask that you take it as a positive tone, that you try and work with your ch child or children's school district to find out how can I help support them? How can I help support you? What feedback can I give? Because at the end of the day, the people making the decisions are human. And they are making the decisions that they feel are in the best interest of their community and their students in order to serve them and provide them the best education possible. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation or today's discussion, if you will, on the schools reopening in the fall. Again, I want to reiterate that anything you've heard today is my opinion and just that mine, nothing else. Um, and I think that together that we all can can make this work in the fall and see what the spring brings us. And, and hopefully that we'll be able to get back to quote unquote normal uh, as soon as possible with our kids in the seats where we can see them, where they can see us, where we know they're safe, where we can experience them each and every day. And so until then, I say we make the best of it, both as parents and educators. It's up to us to set the tone for the kids. Our tone as educators and parents decide what students will feel and what they will think. 
So make sure it's a positive one. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for joining in today. I hope you found something useful in the episode and that it inspired you to seek out some information and to cause the change that you want it to see. If you'd like to find out more information about me, please find me on Facebook or Twitter at DocMartin2013. Thanks again for joining us and make sure to come back for more great episodes of the Not Doc Martin Show.